0: Do you like the North of England? Would you like to spend a couple of days doing nothing but playing board games eating great food in the presence of fantastic people some well-known faces from board game media and potentially Matthew Jude smelling great? Then come to AirCon between the 13th to 15th of March next year. Tickets and more information are available on their website that's aircon.co.uk and also in the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show! <laughs> Welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards My name's Richard, I'll be your host for October Now, there's things you can explain There's things that you can't explain And some of the things that you can explain come from the mind And some of them come from the spirit And you've got to wonder whether there's an all-wonderful, powerful thing That is guiding you either slowly or ever quickly So we can either move spirit fast or we can move at God's speed so yes. joining me <laughs> to talk about a certain game on Kickstarter which comes under the name of Godspeed, which is doing slightly well on Kickstarter, it must be saying. There's a there's a panda, there's a Saurus, there's some games involved, it's pandasaurus games. I've got Adam Hill. Clayton Hargrave isn't here, but he's gonna be on at another time. But hello Adam, how are you?
1: Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Clayton's Clayton's with us in spirit. He is. Oh, he, he is. He? He'll, he'll. I'll channel my inner Clayton Hargrave uh, throughout this interview uh, so that we're both represented. But today you get can, me in person.
0: Can you do an impression of Clayton at all? And would he appreciate it if you tried to do an impression of Clayton? <laughs>
1: oh, man. I don't think – I think the answer to both of those is no. Um, I could try. I, it would be something like, Adam, we should do this to the game. And don't worry that it breaks everything. It's going to be super fun. Uh, that, would be, that would be Clayton. Uh, and I would say, well, of course it's going to be fun. But like you said, it breaks everything.
0: <laughs>
1: and then he would say, but what if you could? And then like two weeks later and four arguments later and a couple of apologetic phone calls, we'd get back together and, and, and we'd figure it out. But, you know, something like that.
0: It's a it's a it sounds like a strong kind of working relationship. <laughs> have you been, have you known each other? Have you known each other uh, long then?
1: Yeah, Clayton and I have known each other for probably about six or seven years. Um, oh. And uh, I was I was teaching at a university where Clayton was attending, um, and we kind of got to know each other kind of his last year. His senior year mm-hmm. there, and then yeah. when he graduated somehow or another, we started running in similar circles and then we started uh, hanging out and playing games together and uh after i don't know a few years, we decided maybe we should try and make a game and so <laughs> uh, we decided to try our hand at game design and the end result of that effort is our first game godspeed
0: that's not it's not bad, considering i mean let's if we do. Let's do the do a rewind and go back to you know a little bit further back than when you've kind of first met. I mean, currently, the Kickstarter is almost at one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah, it's doing really now well. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that slowly, Adam. A hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. How does that make you feel? just now.
1: It's crazy. Um, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Um, we, Clayton and I are just ecstatic. We kind of can't believe this is our game. And, you know, when we made it, we you know, of course we like what we made because we're a little biased, um, but mm-hmm. we knew we had something. And to watch so many people um, support it and give of their own livelihood so that they can experience the game too. Man, it is so humbling is the word. It's it's just sort of, you know, it, it feels great. It's definitely an affirmation. Um, and at the same time we're just so thankful, um, that people are willing to play it, uh, that has, that it has really turned into the game that we always, you know, that I dreamed it could be for sure. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, we're just super thankful to be working with Pandasaurus and they've, they've done so much uh, to support the game, to make it better, to do what they can to like, I don't know, they've just made an excellent product out of it. And we're just super thankful to be with them, to be with uh, the folks that we're working with. It's just all come together and we're blown away.
0: Was it, um, Are you always been kicking about the kind of the cardboard? I mean, when you were a, when you were a younger man, I mean, was it something that, you were involved in, I mean, was it, was it something you would do as a family or was it something that you kind of started out kind of doing yourself with your friends and stuff?
1: Um, I guess my family, we played, you know, we would play some games together. Like, um, you know, I mean, we would fight over the monopoly board, uh, just Mm. like most families, but, um, I always kind of liked them more than everyone else in my family. My brother to this day doesn't play board games. Um, which is great to have a brother who's a game designer, Um, for him, he really enjoys that. Uh, our conversations go really well. Uh, so what are you doing? Well, I made this game. Okay, great. What else? Um, and so we laugh about that. Um, my, you know, but my, I don't know. I really loved it and probably I grew because I really learned to love risk and, and kind of more involved games, a little heavier games. When I was probably 10, we picked up a copy of Access and Allies at a garage sale. Yeah. Um. And that game became the game that I always wanted to play and no one wanted to play with me. So I would play all the sides. And so I kind of grew up as a board game nerd. Uh, Clayton, on the other hand, grew up as a video game nerd. Um, and I played a few video games, but he was all in on video games uh, and kind of came to gaming late. Um, yeah. In some ways, I helped with some of that. Uh, but probably the first game to open up my eyes uh, beyond those standard games that people play, of course, Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, played a lot of that in high school and through college. Um, and while I had played Catan, the one that really opened my eyes to some of the cooler possibilities of board games was actually Dominion. Um, and Dominion, just I had never seen a game with that kind of flexibility and that kind of uh, scope. And at the same time, it's elegance. The simple choice that you make uh, with regard to what you're going to buy and what you're going to play as your action card it, it just, I don't know, all of that clicked as a system and I thought this is amazing and then that sort of opened the door for me to explore other games.
0: Yeah um, Dominion's like um, a cheeseburger at McDonald's <laughs> I'm and, listening <laughs> and I th- I'm i sure you remember the first time you went to McDonald's and had a cheeseburger <laughs> And it was probably one of the finest days of your life. You probably had a Coke with it. You had some fries. You would have had one of those fluffy donuts afterwards. You were sitting, you were loving that cheeseburger. Okay.
1: Well, yeah. Hold on. Oh. Time out. Your, your McDonald's have donuts?
0: Yeah, we used to. Yeah, we still do. Yeah. yeah.
1: Man. Our McDonald's it's don't have works. donuts. It's not, like a,
0: not like a bear claw or a powdered one or anything like that. I mean, you're not talking like that. You're talking like used to have like little donuts. I mean, nowadays it's not. It's all kind of like fruit and stuff. But back in the day, they had these lovely, kind of four inch across, like fluffiest donuts that you know they just used to. Capture them down from the clouds And cover them in <laughs> a little bit of sugar I, We never and had those but that's awesome bottles, right? I'm so thankful anyway. that you got to have them <laughs> you go I can send you a picture of one But the thing with cheeseburger is Then two years down the line You go off having a cheeseburger Because cheeseburger is just a cheeseburger and Dominion's very, very much like that. Oh yeah. You know, the first couple of times you play Dominion, you say it's absolutely fantastic. But then it's one of these games I think that kind of gets put to the side. It's really funny if I mention Dominion to people a lot, of people say, "Yeah, Dominion, mate, some yeah, just brilliant." But most people are likely to lead with like Catan or Carcassonne or something like that. But there's still a lot of people that use Dominion as kind of like the kind of the um, the stepping stone. Into the bigger games Because it, it brought in some really really interesting Deck builder type mechanics That right chalk and cheese Beside I mean um, You know it makes Catan Like your fries you know Without mm-hmm. any salt <laughs> They've been sitting there for half an hour They're cold <laughs> kind of thing Dominion was kind of like as a game that kind of Keeps on kind of giving sure. um, Do you When when you jump on, when you get on the cardboard train, okay. Mm-hmm. Was it? Were you through with college? I mean, were you kind of in? Were you? Are you? Were you still at college in the time, or had you moved into kind of like a professional career? I mean, what was it? Did, what was it you did at college first of all?
1: Um, at college, I studied, and my undergraduate degree is in history, uh, world history, mm-hmm. um, and. Then I went and did graduate studies in religion and theology, and I am just about to finish up my doctorate uh, in religious studies and theology.
0: So are you specializing in a particular area in terms of theology? Because it sounds like it's a big (laughs) area. It is. I mean, that's a big That's It is a big area, (laughs) but
1: uh, I I do uh, Christian theology. All right, okay. Okay.
0: Okay. So do you have to like turn in like a normal kind of doctorate? Do you not have to turn in like a, your own paper? I have a dissertation. I'm
1: actually working on it. It's uh, really? I'm finishing it as of November fifteenth. Uh and so it is almost finished.
0: So you decide to put out a Kickstarter <laughs> that's getting a hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and at the same time you're in the middle of finishing off something which allows you to be Dr. Adam Hill <laughs> Right,
1: all of my um, friends uh, at school and, 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 and all of my peers and co-workers are publishing books and I am publishing a board game uh, because that's more my speed, I think
0: So you walk in and, are you walking in, when you walk in and see your friends and meet your friends are you kind of walking in you know, um, like at the end of Jump Street When they come out of the limo and there's doves flying and stuff like that, and you got the, you know, is it more like Face Off? You're kind of like Nicolas Cage, John Travolta type thing with doves flying in the background, and you're like, got your your board game under your arm, and you're gonna go, nice book you're writing there. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, Adam, you know about the board game, you know? Okay,
1: (laughs) I think I think they just look at me and have a little bit of pity. Uh, You know, I think I think that that I'm at the kids' table, but that's fine. That's probably where I belong. I'm okay with that.
0: It's the hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar kids table, <laughs>
1: the kids table is much nicer than the table.
0: A more expensive table. <laughs> you can't afford to sit at my table. That's right. Let's face it; it's going to probably not sit about that level. It's probably going to go up a little bit more. You need T-shirts.
1: Oh, hey, we're I'm, in the
0: two, I'm in the i I'm in the two hundred k board game club. You know that's that's where you need to be. That's what you kind of need to be doing. Um and. Do you? Here is it because this is a, a, a. Does your beliefs form the type of games that you like to design, or do they f- have any type of um kind of decisions in terms of the games that you would have in your collection as well? I mean, I, I guess there's a difference between somebody who goes in and studies religion, um. In a kind of an educational format and somebody who obviously very much believes kind of thing, you know, and they right. won't allow, I'm not going to have that on my table kind of thing. But has it, has it ever kind of helped your decisions of your board games? Are there board games that you wouldn't necessarily want to play or are there games that, you know, or were you just kind of like, well, it's a board game. It's just like, it's fun. It's educational. I mean, that's, right. you separate kind of things like that.
1: Well, I myself am a believer, and I and I, I believe very strongly what I you know in my faith. Um, however, mm. in terms of um, making games and how I approach gaming, uh, it's important that, the, that that I don't know folks realize that there are people who um, are people of belief, but at the same time have great bandwidth for imagination, creativity, and for mm. the opportunity. To let games be a medium whereby we can, whereby we can build relationships on mutual respect and mm-hmm. all kinds of appreciation for differences and all kinds of diversity. And so, while while, while everything that I do is informed by my faith, uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily become the way that I call board games or the way that I and and, and it's never going to become the way that I call people um, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like I, um, you know, I I don't believe that my faith. Uh, in any way, I don't believe that I honor God by excluding others and by, by, by holding people back and hurting them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't tell God that I love God by, um, not loving humans around me. And so, uh, I find my faith to help me be more inclusive of people and to help me be more affirming for people. Uh, and there are those of us who are Christians out there that that's, that's more of our position. Uh, even though what we hold is very dear to us, it's not a way to exclude others, but rather it's a way to include others. Um, and so it does it, what does it change the way that I make games? I don't know that that necessarily by itself does much in terms of how I make games. I believe, of course, games become a way to express um, something about the way you think the world is or, or something like that. But I don't, I don't know that it goes that deeply for me all the time that I'm trying to write, uh, for instance, a theological dissertation in a game like Godspeed. Um, and, you know, even to that end, it's kind of funny because that's not our title. Um, when we pitched the game to Pandasaurus, uh, it ended up getting a retheme. And Godspeed, which sounds like a very kind of theologian sort of title uh, as a take on sci-fi, uh, was not our original idea. Uh, and so it is a re-theme that we've embraced and we love, but it has very little to do with my own uh, faith convictions or anything like that. That's not where this game is coming from. This game is just fun science fiction and a good exploration uh, with imagination and imagining what an alternate space race could look like. Um, And uh, that's that's kind of where we're coming from as far as making this game, and it's not so much a statement of uh, belief or creed or anything like that.
0: I mean, obviously, I have severe issues with you when you put um, something like Wizards for Hire (laughs) out there. (laughs) This is where I was building to. You think I was going somewhere else? That's where I'm building up to. Yeah, Uh, I love. I mean, this bit before I can let you go through with this, but you know this. (laughs) I
1: I love that you know about this game. This is this is a prototype game uh, that I made and that no one has signed yet. Um, but if any publishers are interested,
0: no, um, I would say but, I'd have strong opinions about any publishers allowing more wizards out there for hire, and especially uh, giving them money. Well, you know, anyway, they, they
1: have to earn it, but see, they have to give it to their their own employees so that they can. Anyway, that that's. Yes, that game is there, but Richard, I am willing to let you retheme that game if you would like to retheme it. I will see what I can do.
0: If you send me the rules, okay, I will have it rethemed for you within two weeks' time.
1: That sounds great, and because it I will want to be make f- sure that we're not wizards.
0: Well, I mean, why does it have to? Why can't it be? You know, I mean, you're discriminating here. I mean, is this all you're doing? You're just allowing people who are wizards to be to get jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's laws about this, Adam. You no, know, have they, issues.
1: They work. See, here's the premise. The premise of Wizards for Hire is uh, that.
0: And you are going to pitch it me. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is the this, here's the pitch. Uh, this um, so the premise of Wizards for Hire is that wizards are awesome and they change the shape of history and they go and fight off whatever in the world needs to be fought off. They go on these epic adventures, but that's not you. You are. A nine to fiver, you work at the local magic shop filling customers' orders for co- spells like summon coffee uh, and summon burrito uh, or whatever. And uh, you're just trying to pay the bills. You're not looking to go on wild adventures. You just really want to win Employee of the Month at Ye Old Magic Shop. All right, so that, that that's, that's the, the funny premise, but it's a contract fulfillment game that involves worker placement.
0: Do any of the wizards get hurt? I mean, is there a chance they get burnt on their coffee, or they trip up, or they humiliate, humiliate themselves? Is there
1: no? Is but there your like that at your all? staff members can be fired if because sometimes your apprentice likes to help. Uh, you fulfill orders, but he uh, does some shoddy work in the shoddy work closet, and he gets caught. And then when he gets caught, he gets fired.
0: See, I think that's fair. I mean I think that's a good sound Mechanic and I'm surprised That Pandasaurus Haven't looked on this game And decided that this is The next way forward especially After you've done $175,000 dollars I'm not going to let that kind of go Um Have you always been Are you always been a designer boy? I mean as in a designer boy. There you go. Have you always have you always been a designer boy? Um,
1: That's right. The comma the comma is very
0: important in that sentence. The comma is very very important in 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 that thing. But have you always been a doodler? I mean, are you the guy that if I looked at your your notes um, for essays that you did in college, there'd be little kind of pictures and drawings and scribbles? You'd be the guy that you'd have little grids of squares everywhere or triangles or circles and stuff like that, where you always kind of, you know, focused on the moment, but also at the same time had kind of boundless mental energy, which meant that you were always kind of thinking about other things.
1: Well, um, I, I'm i kind of laser focused. Right. Um, and so I didn't doodle a lot. I'm extraordinarily analytical. And so I always wanted to find out how things worked and to make them work. And so in a lot of ways, uh, when it comes to our design team, um, Clayton really does a whole lot more of the um, narrative, fun, thematic,
0: hmm. you know,
1: what if kind of stuff. And yeah. he, he, it's not that he can't do mechanics. He does, he does really creative mechanics. Um, whereas I tend to think in terms of nuts and bolts, how can I make this work? How can we make the impossible possible in a board game? Yeah. And how can we how can we solve the problem in front of us and make it not work but make it fun? How can we hide that people are doing math? How can we get around this set of obstacles that we've given ourselves? These constraints that we've placed ourselves within. And I love mm-hmm. that kind of challenge. And so yeah. I'm you know kind of to use some terms that are a little antiquated. I'm I'm more of the left brained. Uh, sort of approach. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Clayton's yeah, more yeah. of a right-brained approach. And so we make a really good team because we really do uh, come at things from pretty opposite directions and with different kinds of filters and the way that we process information. But it really ends up having us create. The games that we make are, uh, I think, stronger for it uh, yeah. because we both have such a different approach. But I was not so much the doodler. I was the kid who uh, was absolutely taking the notes, who had it. and But I was also the kid that once I wrote it down, I didn't have to look at it again. Uh, And so I always kind of remembered things really well and just tried my best to organize everything.
0: So is the way that you and Clayton work then is you'll look at the same problem and you'll say, well, look, if if you manage or limit this resource, then this will cause this cascade thing. And Clayton will say, and the reason that we're doing this is because if we have too many fuel sales, then there's a chance we increase the chance that there's gonna be an accident or an explosion. So he's he very kind of taking the kind of the imaginative approach and you're kinda taking the very kind of this is the mechanics and he's saying, Well this is why it's gonna what kinda work in in the kind of the game itself. Yeah. Right.
1: And so we, we we both use those to our strengths and um you know, we, some of my favorite design sessions, because we meet every week um, to do design work. Um, and as, as we're doing that, some of my favorite sessions, our favorite sessions are when we start with, okay, so this is the problem we left off with last week. What did you come up with? Mm. You know, and here's what I came up with and putting those both on the table and seeing what we like better and what works best and what can accomplish our goals and how do we blend some of the best parts of both things. Uh, if that's possible, Like that's that's our bread and butter spot where um, we're doing our best work uh, because of those differences.
0: And did you have a couple of games kind of under the belt before you decided you were going to go out and pitch? Two people.
1: (laughs) No, uh, we had Godspeed. It was our first game. Um, And you're going to love the theme that we originally had.
0: I Uh, want to hear. If it's wizards related, I'm ending the call. I'm (laughs) telling telling you right now.
1: Okay, it absolutely isn't. However, uh, you (laughs) may still end the call. Here you go. Uh, The original idea was uh, that the game was called Alpaca Lips, and it had to do with alpaca um the the end of human civilization had happened and there were these tribes of alpaca that had risen up and were going to be the new dominant species on earth and you were leading a tribe of alpaca to become the most influential species of or, uh, influential tribe of alpaca in this new alpacan age what was it called the al- tell- the alpacalypse <laughs> 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 oh, so, yeah, a re-theme was probably a good idea.
0: I don't know. See, I think they might have missed here.
1: <laughs> no, see, here's the deal. It's mm. awesome as a name and as a theme until you realize 10 minutes into the game that you've got 90 more minutes of alpaca puns. And then it's a <laughs> yeah, little much. And so maybe for this game it doesn't fit, but there should definitely be a game called Alpacalypse.
0: Is there going to be a smaller kind of party game? That's what needs to happen minute? with
1: that. Um, and right now, we're not working on that, but soon I will be. Um, and uh, But Godspeed, as it came to be, uh, was our yeah. first game. Uh, we are working on another one together right now, uh, and I, I don't foresee a future where we're not working on a game together. Um, hmm. I do a couple by myself every now and then, just because uh, I have a little more time and I've kind of... I choose to spend more of my time doing that particular thing. And so I have a couple of games that I designed by myself, but uh, Clayton and I have a second one we're working on uh, that some publishers are looking at right now.
0: And that's kind of veiled and giving up as little information as possible, Mr. Hill. What is that <laughs> all that I'm sure that's fine? Yeah. Um, did you did you pitch to quite a few people before before you landed with Godspeed, or did you just rock up to? Did you just rock up to Pandasaurus and said, "Hi," they got a game and they said, phew, as long as it's not an alpaca, one we'll sign it on the spot." And you were like, "Okay, give me five minutes <laughs> <laughs> out, with the, out, with the, out with the black marker."
1: Exactly. Kind of uh, no, we uh, here's what we did. We went to Unpub uh, two oh, yeah. years ago. Uh, Unpub is a massive convention for a bunch of game designers, uh, and we all bring unpublished games, and they invite the public in to do public playtesting, and it's in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, There are many Unpubs all over, uh, but the main one is in Baltimore, and so we took our game there. And we had it on the table, and you put up your little sign that says, here's the name of the game, here's how long it takes, here's how many players. And so in a room full of games that were 30-minute, 20-minute party games and, and light games, and uh, there were a few heavier ones, but here's ours that's like 90 minutes. Uh, and wow. it's a uh midweight euro for sure. And so uh, we brought it there, uh, and a few, a few publishers took a look at it, two or three. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of had a short list that we wanted to show it to. And then um, of those, our real hope was that Pandasaurus would take it. Uh, while there, John Gilmore, um, who, you know, he develops games and scouts games for Pandasaurus. Um, and John is one of the best people on Earth. Um, and he was there and he saw it and it was funny because we're super nervous. This is our first time pitching a game. John is looking at it and, uh, he, you know, of course is, is kind of sussing out what's, what's unique about it, what's special about it, what's good. And he looks at us and he goes, this is the stupidest theme I've ever heard. (laughs) And we both kind of looked at each other like, well, we tried. Um, and, uh, then he said, I'm interested in taking a copy. Wow. You know, and so, uh, our top choice was Pandasaurus, and they said yes at that point to look at it further. They right. looked at it, and then of course they, uh, did end up making the decision to sign the game. Uh, and it was probably, I don't know, several months later that, uh, we were on, we were on a conference call and kind of they said, okay, look, here's what we're hearing. Um, people expect something out of a game called Apocalypse that this game doesn't deliver but this game is really good with a different theme. What were they expecting? <laughs> I, I have no idea, but not, I know it wasn't have a chunky midweight hero. Um,
0: I was expecting a llama. Can we have other ungulates involved in yes, I was expecting exactly. an impala kind of thing.
1: Exactly. You know. uh, but I don't know what they were expecting, but it wasn't what we made. And so uh, Nathan proposed a switch to this kind of retro-futurism um, this kind of 60s, 70s space race theme, but in an alternate universe, uh, where things like the European Union existed in a, in a germ form already, but may not include the countries you think. Uh, we'll see what comes out in stretch goals. There's another little mm-hmm. teaser. Um, but, uh, there are the, and, and that includes some other stories so that there are other players in the space race and not just US, USSR. Um, but that there's more to it than that. And there's some other things going on. Uh, and that creative space, that kind of, um, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, that sort of uh, Philip K. Dick um, sort of retrofuturism, really just so it resonated with both Clayton and myself uh, so much that we were sort of like, absolutely, what a perfect fit. And that re-theme really unlocked uh, some things mechanically and thematically to really make the game even more special. And, and uh, all, all in all, uh, it's definitely a better game because of that retheme and because of the development work that then John was able to guide us through uh, to tweak that game and, 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 and really make it stronger in light of its theme.
0: Did you have... You must have had a completely different color palette because for me, the color palette on this is extraordinary. We are, and it's yeah. you know, it's kind of it's the kind of the pinks and the greens, and it's the kind of it's like it reminds me of when you see an unusual indie video game, mm-hmm. and they've decided to do something with a completely different with a color palette. They've broken the color system, and it's kind of changed something completely different. Did you have a lot of input once they'd taken that over? Did they come back to you and say, right, okay, this is what we're thinking about the color, and How many times in secret did you say it, Clay, and what are they doing with my baby? (laughs) Um,
1: When Jesse Riggle was signed on as our artist, um, and we got to see the first kind of versions of the stuff that he was making for this game, we were absolutely floored. With how beautiful it was because, yeah. you know, our prototype, we had done, you know, your standard stuff. Here's red, here's blue, here's green, here's yellow. Play as your player color and, and do your thing. Um, and Jesse brought so much life to this game by its palette, just by making those choices artistically. Uh, he was so, it was so good. We were just shocked that our game could be so beautiful. Um, because you know, i I play a lot of midweight and heavyweight euros, and this is a really awesome time to be making those because they've just, it seems, in the last couple of years, really started caring what they look like, and so you know, the the art has gotten so much better. Uh, from just basic, here's a bunch of earth tones that, uh, you know, the folks that are colorblind will never be able to make the differences out of. Um, yeah. And my son's colorblind. And so, you know, I'm used to being able to say, hey, bud, you want to play this game? And him saying, I can't tell the difference between some of these pieces. Um, but to see the the differences that are coming up artistically for medium weight, heavyweight board games, it's just an awesome time to be one of those players because we get to enjoy this. And when Jesse came out with his vision for this game, it was so amazing. Uh, and we were so thrilled with it. And so we just can't believe that this is our game. We don't, we haven't had those moments where they said, where we said, what are you doing to our baby? We've had those moments where we said, oh my gosh, our baby is actually beautiful. Uh, and, and so we've just been kind of blown away uh, that our game could look as good as they've made it look. And Steve o. Torres, uh makes such amazing graphic design choices in this game that we're just blown away. Uh, he did such a good job making this look the part. Uh, and and uh, so uh, we're just so thrilled with the art team and how much they've done to make yeah. this game have its visual appeal. And the details are just insane from the way that you can see the map on the astronaut that's on the box. his hit The yeah. cover of his helmet is actually the game board in reflection. Uh, the little details there, the way that the cards, the backs of the cards on their piles match the surface of the planet below them. S- yeah, so that I it gives that. almost a 3D topographical feel to the map. Um yeah. it's it, they've done such a great job with this uh that we just sit and look at it and we're just we're just stunned.
0: And of course you're far enough away from the process that it's not like uh when you go down the self published route in Kickstarter where you're engaging with the artists and you're making the decisions. Right. It is a case that you're getting the kind of the surprises as everybody else kind of gets the surprises. And I'm guessing that you the other thing is Am I guessing right in saying you've probably never played a fully you've you have not played a full production version of the own your own game that you've designed and developed yet? Yeah,
1: <laughs> we did a playthrough of one of the pre-production copies that we ordered uh, for reviewers. Um, yeah. We did one playthrough of that um, a couple weeks ago, uh, in the first week of our Kickstarter. And that was the first time that Clayton and I had ever played Godspeed, uh, and not no. the Alpacalypse. Cause all through playtesting, um, you know, John Gilmore led all the, all of his playtesting groups and our playtesters were so amazing. Um, so if any of them are listening, y'all are, y'all are, y'all are awesome and you helped make this game great. Um, but that those groups all played Alpacalypse. And so even some of them were like, oh, man, I liked the alpaca theme. Uh, But so they were even surprised that, oh, yeah, this is that game you played. Um, And so uh, we just got to play it for the first time two weeks ago uh, in a pre-production copy. But we've not yet played the final version. And it, it just keeps getting better and better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you're not even thinking kind of stretch goals and stuff like that when you first get signed, are you? 'Cause Pandasaurus, they've got a dual route of doing stuff. Some of the stuff that they do, they'll actually get it printed and get it published. Right. And then other stuff they will kinda of take so say for instance, Wasteland Express delivery service, that was retail. That was a published yep. you know, that was a public, yeah, that was a published game. And the Machi Koro, um, legacy game, that seems to be, you know, a retail one as well. Right. Um but then you've got like Dead Man's Cabal, you mm-hmm. know. Um with, uh, you know, Daniels, Daniels, Dan Newman's game. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's a, that's a good that, game. When we got, you know, I got to play that when I was a backer, uh, and I'm a huge fan of Daniels and I love his games. And he's mm-hmm. got a couple more coming out in the next couple of years that I like even more than Dead Man's Cabal. And I like Dead Man's Cabal. So I look forward to seeing what he's doing. Um, but yeah, they, they choose to do that sometimes. And actually those, uh, the guys who made, uh, Wasteland Express delivery service, uh, Ben Pinchback, Matt Riddle, uh, worked yeah. with John Gilmore on that game uh, and they both live here in Detroit area as well uh, oh, cool. Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle do and they're really good friends of ours and they were able to give us kind of we were first-time designers and they gave us a lot of good advice and a lot of feedback and a lot of just direction as we were doing some stuff early on uh, as designers and they've been invaluable as friends and kind of uh peers in this design thing although they have like you know, dozens of games, and we now have one game. Uh, but uh, they've been super awesome to work with. But all of those folks, and it's interesting because when we were first talking to Pandasaurus, there was some discussion. Is this going to be a retail game? Is this going to be a Kickstarter? And I think what we saw was the potential for this really good game to kind of get this um, blinged out makeover through stretch yeah. goals and add-ons, if people wanted that version of the game, you know, that kind of yeah. Dinosaur Island chromed out version, then it's there. Yeah. And they can have that because there's such a good opportunity for it. And so, uh, this game can be what the consumer wants it to be if they don't need all of that stuff. Great. The base game is awesome and beautiful and wonderful. Uh, if they want more of that stuff, they can add it on. They can get that stuff. And, and it's and it's there. And, I, man, some of the pieces that are coming out, the pre-production stuff just looks looks amazing.
0: I mean, you must be looking at stuff and going this is just beyond my wildest absolutely. You know, dreams of where it could be because I, I guess a retail version you have to cut your cloth. You know, you know, you have to cut your cloth to the budget that you've got basically. And so I've seen retail versions of games that have come out and you're like, yeah, they're they, they're good. They're good at what they are, and the production values can be either great or they can be kind of middle into the road where you know they've tried to get as many copies out there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But you're now in this situation where you're not only going to get your game, you're going to get the very best version of the game that you could imagine kind of out there as well. And that must be exciting.
1: It is exciting. And I, I, I mean, we played, when we did our playthrough, we were using the base game, um, mm-hmm. the retail version kind of those files and so cardboard pieces, things like that. And it was yeah. still just so well made. And so um, I think that consumers are going to be really happy. Uh, mm-hmm. Gamers are going to be really happy with the game that's in the box, whichever, yeah. whichever version of that they chose to back and support and pick up. Yeah. I think they're going to be really pleased because the quality really is great. And I think that um, we were kind of blessed to be able to follow in the footsteps of dinosaur Island uh, because Pandasaurus learned so much in that massive hit, you know, where, you know, they're, they had to make way more copies of that game than they're probably going to make of our game. But all yeah. of that experience gets to go into our box.
0: You yeah, know, and yes, so they're exactly. not
1: exploring this territory. They are good at this territory now. Um, yeah. And they've learned some lessons and they've learned how to do things really well. And we are the beneficiaries of that experience. Uh, and so that's super fun to watch. As our game just gets better and better uh, because of their work.
0: Yeah. One of the... um, The only thing that ever scares me about Euros is... um, And I'm going to use an analogy. Is For me, a lot of Euros can sometimes be you're sitting on a train. You're one of the passengers along with all the other players who are also passengers. You're all going to go to the same destination. And it's only once you get to the final station that you know... Who's the kind of the winner So in a lot of Euro games there's very little Kind of player interaction You're all involved in the same engine If you know what I mean Right. But on the other side of it The decisions, you don't know the final decisions Until you top the scores at the end Were you conscious of that when you were putting together Kind of Godspeed Making sure that yes we were taking The kind of the Euro and worker placement Kind of sensibilities but we were trying to make it Kind of more kind of interactive is that something that you've kind of taken into consideration
1: yeah and that's where having clayton really helped because my wheelhouse the game that i've always wanted to make is godspeed because i play midweight, heavyweight euros and that's my wheelhouse as far as gaming is concerned yeah. clayton's wheelhouse is cooperative thematic and so he loves Spirit Island. He loves, you know, the co-op games. Uh, I think his his gaming group did Pandemic Legacy all the way through it, you know, and they, they wow. love that sort of co-op thing and the interactive thing with a ton of theme. Well, when we got together, you know, he, we were able to introduce and he probably introduced most of the interactive stuff um, yes. and made that so strong in that regard. Now, uh, the game itself provides more interaction than your standard euro um, because we did make some take some fresh looks at what worker placement could be um, and we're still exploring that and that still excites me because that's my favorite medium to work in as a designer um, and so uh, when we talked about it it's worker placement not just in the action phase of the game but also in like the whole game itself so, for instance, when you start the phase, the first every round has the following phases. It has what's called a high council yeah. phase. It's got mm-hmm. a supply depot phase, and then it's got the action phase. And basically, you have a team of five workers, and they're all specialized. And so your captain can only do military and security actions, whereas your engineer uh, can only do infrastructure actions. And building actions, whereas your um, trader, that's T-R-A-D-E-R, can only do um, the finance and commerce actions, uh, and your biologist can only do your research and exploration actions. And so, then you have your ambassador that is kind of your leader,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they yeah. can only do the diplomacy actions and the, and the ambassador actions. Like, there is no wild card worker. There is no worker that can do anything.
0: Well, So
1: you go into the high council phase, the first phase of a turn, and there's an event that has taken place that requires one of your team members. And so it may say, hey, send your biologist. We have to go and do some research together uh, about this planet we're on. And so you can choose whether or not you send your biologist. Well, if you send your biologist, then that that worker is used for this turn, for this round. Yeah. And so you are saying no to taking biologist actions in the action phase. Well, then you get the supply depot phase and there's a, there's like a market and players have an auction. And so there's a blind bidding auction. So th- this is more of that player interaction business where what I do directly affects you and what you do directly affects me. Yeah, um, yeah, each yeah. of your five workers has an influence value. Your ambassador is always worth seven, but the other four people on your team are worth uh, some combination of the numbers four, three, three, and 2. So, but it's not the same. Each team is variable. And so, for instance, my captain may be my 4, whereas your biologist might be your 4. You know, my trader might be your 2, um, but your captain might be a 3. So, when we choose which workers we're sending to the supply depot, you're bidding that number. So if I were to send my ambassador who has a seven and my trader who has a two, I'm bidding nine. Well, you are going to bid and you may send three of your uh, workers, but it may be your four, your three, and your three. And so you've sent 10. And so you would win the bid and get to choose the first thing from the supply depot. And then I would get to choose second. Uh, And then if you're the winner of the bid, you get to take the thing that's left over.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And one of the things in the, in the supply market is also the first player token for the action phase. So that's where you can decide (laughs) if you want to go first. Um, and then when you get to the action phase, you get two actions. Um, and it's the two that you've saved back, you know, of your workers, or maybe you Mm -hmm. only sent one to the supply depot. So you have three workers back. Yeah, yeah, Maybe you didn't yeah. respond to the high council, so you have four, so your choices are wide open. But then when you go to take your actions in the action phase, you may get blocked by other players. So if three players kept their biologist and there's only two spaces where the biologist can go, you might get blocked out. Uh, and right. in that case, okay. you kind of have to take the bailout action, which is the scrapyard, where anyone can go and you get one resource. So it, it's worker placement, but not simply in the action It's The whole thing is a series of worker placement choices that are very interactive, especially in that supply depot phase, uh, because you are directly interacting with other players and other agencies, because it's supposed to feel like these agencies are in competition on this new planet, trying to build their machinery and their infrastructure and their civilization up so that they can be a dominant influence on this new planet.
0: It's it's kind of, it kind of sounds an awful lot like my bag, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I've right. kind of, I've been bursting my way through kind of like Dinogenics recently. Sure. And which, um, really, really pleasantly surprised me and getting back into like Dinosaur Island and there. I'm a big viticulture fan and everything yeah. like that. So anything that is, but, um, something that can be a bit crunchy sometimes as well. Um, but it sounds like a, there's an awful lot. Of kind of game there I mean what kind of game length you, you said it's you some 90 minutes so is that well, that's, uh, um, 90 minutes all in or is that like you know 25 minutes a player or what yeah, you're looking at it's here?
1: probably right around there 25 a player um, if, yeah. if it's your first time playing and there's two of you think about an hour yeah if it's your fourth time playing and there's two of you think about 40 to 45 minutes um, yeah. if there's four of you and it's your first time playing maybe two hours but if there's four of you and it's your third time playing, then you're looking at 90 minutes. Um, and for instance, uh, Tantrum House did a playthrough, four player playthrough, um, just last week, and it was 90 minutes on the nose. Um, and they even stopped and talked about some things and had some technical issues. So it, and, but one of the cool things about it is there's not a lot of downtime. Because I take an action, then you take an action, then you take an action, then Mm -hmm. you take an Mm -hmm. action, then I take Mm -hmm. an Mm action. It moves very quickly in all of its phases, so there's not much downtime, whereas – I'm used to Euros that, like, okay, I've taken my turn, so now you're going to take your 15-minute turn. Exactly. And then that person's going to take their 15-minute turn, then she'll take her 15-minute yeah. turn, and then I'll come back after I've had my sandwich and be able to take my next turn. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, and, and, but this game moves very quickly, uh, and so decisions come quickly, and it you don't, there's not a lot of downtime. You don't feel bored uh, while yeah. you're sitting there, and it's not just fun during your turn. So. Uh, we really worked hard to make that the case uh, with this game. And part of that, like I said, goes back to Clayton and and his particular preferences as a gamer and what he loves to see in games and feel, even in Euros. He wants it to be the same. He wants to be just as interactive with the game when it's not his turn. Uh, yeah, and so yeah. that became part of what we were doing in Godspeed. And so while people have seen worker placement, while people have seen blind bidding, while people have seen the kind of game that this is, they've never seen it combined like this, I don't think. We never have. I shouldn't say what they have. Uh, I should say we've never seen it combined in just this way. And I do think that it's going to be right in a lot of people's wheelhouse as far as the fun that they want to have. Uh, in a game, I know it's the fun that I want to have. I've played it hundreds of times, and I still love playing it. And not just because it's my baby, but because I think it actually is a really good game. And I don't want to sound conceited. Uh, I just I'm I'm in love with it, and I love playing it because it's so fun.
0: I think you're allowed to do that. I think if you know if you're um, if you're out there and you're putting something out there and you're proud of it, then you're you're perfectly entitled to kind of big it up, you know. One of the, other, I mean, one of the other things I've I've kind of <laughs> impressed with is that you've not gone for the let's pile this bad boy above a hundred dollars to kind of get in the door. And the reason for that was I I had an old man rant on Twitter the other day just saying that I saw it. You know, seeing you know seeing a, above a hundred pound on a hundred dollars on Twitter. Just kind of is a potential example of why, you know, we've got to look at making the hobby as accessible as possible. And for some people, you know, $100 is nothing for, that. to be honest, probably at the moment, $100 is a lot to, to kind of, kind of most people. And you've kind of come in at the kind of the $70 kind of mark. And was that a conscious decision? Was that based on, You're just not trying to pile the thing up with bling to raise the price, was it?
1: Um, Okay, so Clayton and I had very little to do with any of the pricing. Um, So those would be questions that Nathan could speak to a whole lot better and Molly could speak to a whole lot better because they run the numbers uh, and they know what they're doing. I do know, though, um, that a lot of the choices that were made um, are made to try and make the entry level um, not as high as it could have been made. Yeah. Um, and for instance, there was someone who recently in the comments on uh, the Kickstarter said, boy, it would be really great if this had poker chip pieces. Um, and Nathan sort of explained, we looked into poker chip pieces, but they would have been so much more expensive than yeah. the heat transfer plastic we went with. Yeah. Um, and that would have been way more uh, per game. And that, that cost would have to go to the consumer. Uh, Nathan yeah. has also written a few pieces uh, on a blog that he does uh, there that's at pandasaurus.com. Uh, you, and you can see, and he's talked about some of the rising costs of making games and selling games and how Pandasaurus approaches that. And yes. it's another one of those moments where we're really glad to be working with Pandasaurus because we feel like we're with a publisher who is sensitive to um, the economic realities Of the games we're making. Now, our game has a ton in the box. Okay. There are lots of pieces. There's, there are a lot of resources. There's a lot. I mean, part of what you're doing is building these buildings that uh, each one of them has their own tile. And there's, I mean, there's just a lot going on. And so this game could have been made a lot more expensive. And they were very conscious to use high quality, but also at the same time, keep the pricing I think as accessible as they could have for a game of this size.
0: Yeah, and again, I mean, this will be lessons learned on the production of kind of like the various versions of Dinosaur Island as well. Right. And Wasteland Delivery Express, you know, service that, you know, they'll they'll have learned those kind of lessons. I mean, you've got, obviously they've got the $70 entry level and then if you do want to go up, you've got like a deluxe version, which is just over the hundreds 115 right kind of dollars but again you get mission patch upgrades you get metal coins it's the kind of the person that does kind of want to go right. for the kind of their the kind of their bling um how many post-it notes have you got left that have still got stretch goals ideas on them Adam
1: uh we have running out we we have quite a few um, and, you know, of course, some of the stretch goals that people are seeing uh, new art on some of the cards, some of the cards were generic um, and just showed like a space helmet um, and they've unlocked some new art for those pieces. And so anything that Jesse does always looks better. Uh, yeah. When he does it. And so those are coming together really nicely. But uh, there are other countries that are, we're hoping to unlock. Um, and I really can't wait till people get to see those. And, and it just adds more variability to the game, more opportunity for players to say, Oh, I see myself in this game, you know, and, and, and we want people from all around the world to be able to feel like they can play this game uh, and feel like they're finding something of themselves in it. Um, and they can relate to that but there's that, we've got a few other things a few other tricks up our sleeve uh, as well as some content that we're not doing stretch goals with, uh, but some other things that uh, we've worked on, Clayton and I have developed a solo mode uh, for the oh, game, cool. and so some people love solo gaming uh, but we're going, instead of like trying to change what's in the box because that changes uh, all kinds of cost and that changes shipping and that changes things that uh, folks have not signed up for when they bought in on the Kickstarter. And so rather than affect that, uh, we're probably going to release that uh, through uh, BGG as a PNP module. Um, yeah. the print and play module so that we don't have to add any more cost to the game, but people cool. can have that experience if they want to have it. Um, Clayton is huge into solo gaming. And so he was really excited for us to work on that solo mode. So we we keep feeding content and we've got some other stretch goals. Uh, and I feel pretty confident that we're going to hit most of those. Uh, and that'll be super yes. fun. We're not yet to the emergency place where we're like, Hey, make stuff up because they keep knocking out these stretch goals too fast. Uh, but hopefully, yeah. but you know what—that wouldn't be the worst problem.
0: <laughs> oh, that'd be a nice problem to have. That'd be a nice problem to have. Yeah, I mean, I can, um, I can only wish you the very, very best of luck with the rest of the campaign. I mean, the game seems the games, as I say, pique my interest because it kind of ticks an all, awful lot of boxes in my kind of particular wheelhouse. Um, if people have listened along tonight and they are wanting to keep. Um an eye on your bad self. Mm -hmm. Um, Where can we find you on the internet webs, Mr. Hill? Um, Soon to be doctor.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks. Um, (laughs) Everyone will have to call me that for like three days and then it will go away from that. Um, Exactly. uh, But like, uh, no, if they want to find me, um, I'm on Twitter uh, at Adam Hill games. Uh, you can also go to adamhillgames.com and see kind of my design portfolio and some of the projects that I'm working on. I try to keep that fairly updated, uh, at least every month or so. I try to do something to sh- kind of show where things are at. Um, Clayton, uh, you can find him online at Clayton Hargrave. Um, yes. And uh, we are, we're both out there and we both spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, so look forward to seeing everyone.
0: Awesome. Um, As I say we'll make sure we put all the links In the show notes So we've got notes to show If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to And thank you if you are listening to us For the first time and if you're listening to us For the 300th time I just go outside and do something else For goodness sake but keep on listening But try and get outside You can uh, catch us in all the different Worn out places, worn out faces We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram And we're on Facebook and we've got our website Um and we've got our blog, which is we're not wizardsblogspot.com Which has a write-up of Guardian's Call and what we think about it um, You can also catch us on all the podcast catchers of choice Some of them have got the word pod in them, some of them got the word cast in them Some of them, <clears throat> like Spreaker, they've got none or neither Because they're just being difficult um, If you like us very much though, tell somebody else Because that is how we spread like some kind of um, annoying itch Um, That you don't want to stand next to somebody in an elevator Um, Or the other thing is you can jump onto Apple Podcasts And you can drop us a subscription, a rating or a review If you are going to be giving us a rating or a review Don't give us 10 stars Because it makes us big headed But don't give us 1 star Because it makes us cry Give us something in the middle Like a 5 Because it's average And we're just a little bit average, but the person who's not been average tonight is a rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Mr. Adam Hill. Thank you very much, sir, for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, This has been a blast. Excellent.
0: Um, There is only two more things to do I'm dreading asking. This next question um, is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Adam?
1: Oh, no, we are most definitely alpaca in space. But we are not wizards.
0: <laughs> We're furry and we like to spit. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what you try to say. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Adam. Say goodbye, Adam.
1: Goodbye. Thanks so much.
0: And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. But until the next time. Um I don't know. Godspeed to you all. Godspeed. <laughs> make it show number one. <laughs>
1: A wizard is never late <laughs> is early. He arrives precisely when he means to.